Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 109th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensic cybersecurity and information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is why the cloud is the new electricity and what it means to lawyers. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor. Thank you to our sponsor, Logical, instant discovery software for modern legal teams. Logical offers perfectly predictable pricing at just $250 per matter per month. Create your free account at any time at Logical.com. That's Logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash L-T-N. Today, our guest is Andy Wilson the co-founder and CEO of Logical, which he founded in 2004. Along with his co-founder, Xin Yang, Andy transformed the company from a traditional expensive e-discovery services vendor into an affordable, automated, and self-service cloud solution in 2013. Andy lives in Northern California with his wife and three children. He's a big dog lover and known to sport red tennis shoes for pretty much any occasion. Great to have you with us, Andy. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, happy to be here, John Sharon. <laughs> well, we we miss those red sneakers. Uh, <laughs> well, we we talked we talked just a little bit offline, you know, before we got to this podcast. And so a Andy's first, uh, you know, the topic he wanted to discuss first was what are the similarities between the electrical revolution and the cloud revolution? And I don't have an idea in the world what you intend to say, but go for it, Andy. <laughs> Sure. Um, you know, well, they, it's, it's the early innings here for, for the cloud, but you know, the electricity revolution in the 18, 1800s, late 1800s, and what we're seeing uh, with the cloud and the digital revolution in the, in 2000s share a lot of, a lot of commonalities. If you think about it, electricity is always on demand. It's self-service. It's accessible from anywhere, location independent, scalable, priced on a consumption basis. Um, and so is the cloud, right? And when electricity went mainstream, uh, a lot of innovation happened. You know, the things that we all rely on today, like this podcast technology, is, is probably largely due to, you know, the advent of electricity and the consumerization of that. But it wasn't always that way. You know, back in late 1800s, electricity was something only the wealthy could afford. Uh, it was complex. It was expensive. It would break all the time. You know, Thomas Edison's first uh, uh, power uh, generator is just one example. In today's dollars, it would have cost roughly $7.5 million to, to build, and it could only service about 80 customers, which, which is uh, un unsustainable. Uh, I think you would, you would agree. So if you think about, like, the cloud and how, that, how does that relate, well, pre-cloud, you know, software used to be incredibly expensive, You'd have to buy and buy it, install it, you know, millions of dollars in enterprise software kind of thing, and hire a lot of people to maintain it. But now through cloud and the automation the cloud brings, 
these services are cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, which is fueling more and more innovation. So, Zandy, is that is that where you see the the impact on the the legal profession from from the cloud? Is is it that whole innovation thing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as as technology becomes cheaper, innovation goes up. Uh, it's easier and uh, cheaper than ever before to you know start a business. Um, you know, there's services out there like Amazon Web Services that if you wanted to build a software company, you could do that. But you could also, uh, you know, start a, start a law firm in the cloud. You know, you don't need to acquire a lot of the uh, technical expertise, like you know, back office stuff. Um, you don't need to install a lot of heavy equipment. You know, you can sign up for a suite of tools uh, for a couple hundred dollars a month and have a fully functioning um, legal practice in the cloud uh, within 24 hours. So, yeah, it's, it's having a pretty big impact. You know, I, I like that concept, and I do think that the cloud has led to just incredible amounts of innovation. But how do you explain the fact that some lawyers are still so reluctant to move to the cloud with all the opportunity it offers? <laughs> I got got my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever do you mean? The lawyers are first mover advantage. You know, they're, they're early adopters. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, lawyers, like... At the end of the day, I think lawyer, you know, the, the main function of lawyers uh, is to reduce risk. And anything that is perceived to be risky or they know little about that can be risky, you know, they're, they're going to be a little cautious with that. That said, I have seen some pretty interesting trends. Um, you know, we have close to 2,000 customers worldwide, and the vast majority of them are these small offices. They are a lot more uh, willing to you know, adopt technology. It's, it's usually the larger law firms that are more reluctant to, uh, to change and invest in the cloud. So that's like it's hard to turn the big ship? Is that what you mean? <laughs> I, yeah, I guess. I mean, once you've built up your cost structure, you, you have a little bit of innovator's dilemma. You know, maybe you've, you've you know, spent millions of dollars on, on people and, and product and process when now there's something in the market that you could get the exact same uh, result for you know, pennies on the dollar. It's kind of harder to reinvent yourself once you once that structure has been set up. Well, Andy, you you run this e discovery company, so tell us a little bit about some of the implications. You know, we're we're shoving all this data up in the cloud. I mean, there's got to be some implications there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, tons. I mean, that's kind of the data, the reality we all live in. We're all getting more emails, more text messages now. You know, people are using Slack to communicate instead of email, uh, or in conjunction with. You know, the cloud has just exploded the amount of data, of course, but also where data can exist, um, which for legal teams that are required to sift through this data is a bit of a nightmare because the thing that hasn't changed for them is the deadlines. And the deadlines do not care about data. Mm-hmm. So you have this almost exponential uh, divide that's growing between the signal and the noise. Right, and the noise being all this extra data that's getting pushed or created into the cloud, um, and the signal being you know what's relevant to the matter at hand, it's just getting harder and harder to uh, cut through that uh, cut through that noise because of the cloud. Um, this is fundamentally why we built our product because that's why it's called Logic Coal, by the way. You know, coal. Uh, the job of discovery is not to you know review all this junk. The job is to actually you know find the signal. But in today's world, you have to make it easy to go through this junk as fast as possible, i.e. call it. That's what our product does. You know, I, I've got to ask this question, Andy. Um, have you developed the find all evidence button yet? <laughs> <laughs> 
No. So, so <laughs> I wish we could, but you know, if you think about it, it's, it's actually the opposite problem. It's the inverse. Right. It's find all the junk because <laughs> right. the junk is much easier to find than the evidence because the evidence is usually bespoke to the matter at hand. Uh, but the junk um, almost is a constant, you know, the spam emails, the listservs, the receipts, those kinds of things are a lot easier to find than um, the actual evidence. Mm. So if you can if you can get rid of the junk, i.e. call it, uh, which in most cases is over 90 percent of data is irrelevant in any discovery matter, the evidence presents itself. Hmm. Well, that's that's true. But how, how do you, um, or how do companies, let, let's just talk gen- generically, I mean, how do you logically do the culling mm-hmm. so that you are left with the signal? Mm-hmm. Well, so I can I'm mainly just talk about like the way that we approach the problem. Think about other products or services that you use where you have to sift through large amounts of inventory. Um, let's use two, two examples. Amazon with products. There's over a billion products in Amazon's digital warehouse. And LinkedIn's uh, people search, which has over 100 million people um, in that database. It's really hard to find that one person if you're looking at it from like a haystack perspective. But what these two companies have done incredibly well with is they created a, a categorization model using metadata about those products and people. So Amazon essentially turned on the light switch in the warehouse so that you could see what's inside of all those boxes by automatically categorizing things by, as you mentioned earlier, shoes of a certain color. Show me all the red shoes <laughs> and a certain size and prime only because I don't want to pay shipping. You know, like uh, those things. And the same thing with people. You know, show me all the people that that uh, went to Virginia Tech that graduated in this, in, in this year that are in this certain – in this field, you know, that's three clicks or, or less. Well, we took that exact same model and applied it to data. So if you can categorize all the data automatically into these logical, quote unquote, you know, pun intended, uh, buckets, <laughs> then you can make it really easy for people to poke through it. And that's, that's, how, that's how it works. So once you can do that, you can easily see there are uh, huge sets of information that are irrelevant to, to your matter. And when you find those, you click a button and they go away. Well, I know one reason why lawyers are not moving to the cloud is because they are worried about the security of their data. And this is this is sort of, you know, it's 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 a tandem uh, subject for us here. But but what should they do to make sure that their data is secure? What kind of questions do they need to ask? Well, ironically, I, I would I guess that most of the cloud providers that are coming to their door are orders of magnitude more secure than the way that they're handling data. Um, there's been a couple studies that have been uh, put out around law firm uh, cybersecurity risk, and 80% of AM Law 100 law firms have already been hacked. You've probably heard of some of the, the biggest ones. You know, BLA Piper was shut down for an entire week. And one in four law firms, uh, which you know, 80% of law firms are fewer than 10 attorneys, uh, has been breached, but they, they probably don't know it because they don't have the, the technology to even detect an intrusion. Whereas a cloud service, you know, what a cloud is offering is trust. It's like, hey, listen, trust us to host your data because we have a team of engineers that's uh, monitoring for detection. We have the software enabled that's monitoring for intrusion detection. We have encryption at rest. We have SOC 2, Type 2 certifications. You know, they have all these things, but it's fundamentally what they're selling is trust. 
And there's ways to verify that trust if you're a, a law firm. Um, most of these companies are going to have a security page where they list all their certifications. You can ask for copies of their SOC 2 Type 2, uh, which is a big difference than you know, a Type 1 certification, not just what Amazon provides. You know, you can't get by with that. I wouldn't trust that because uh, obviously Amazon's data center is SOC 2 Type 2 certified and amongst other things. But maybe the vendor selling the services hasn't actually achieved a level of SOC 2 certification on their own, which is a red flag. Uh, so you can test that. If you want to, if you're spending a lot of money in these uh, cloud services, you can hire pin uh, testers, you know, almost like white hat hackers where they will try and penetrate the production environment of this cloud service. Um, I wouldn't recommend that for anything. You know, if you're not, if you're not going to spend, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or more a year in these services, you, know, you probably can't afford that. <laughs> but just by ba- asking basic questions around encryption and, you know, those types of things. Um, and then getting the documentation behind that, you, you can learn a lot. Sound advice. <laughs> well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Ten years ago, e-discovery meant lawyers packed into a basement, fumbling with complex, slow software, wondering where their lives had gone wrong. Today, not much has changed. That's why Logical is putting an end to e-discovery. Logical is simple, powerful, instant discovery software designed to make you hate document review less. Create a free account today by yourself with no human interaction at logical.com forward slash LTN. That's logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash L-T-N. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is why the cloud is the new electricity and what it means to lawyers. Our guest is Andy Wilson, the co-founder and CEO of Logical, which he founded in 2004. Along with his co-founder, Shin Yang, Andy transformed the company from a traditional expensive e-discovery services vendor into an affordable, automated, and self-service cloud solution in 2013. Well, Andy, I, there's this this kind of new thing that's out there called the internet, and I know it it, it goes everywhere, <laughs> but um, and and nobody really sh- is sure where mm-hmm. the heck it really is. But they're not really sure where the cloud is either. But um, should should law firms really care about the actual geographic location of of where their data resides? I mean, yes and no. I guess it just it kind of depends. If you're in the United States. Yeah, again, the vast majority of law firms are, are pretty small. 80% of all law firms have fewer than 10 attorneys. So you're probably servicing clients down the street versus international juggernauts, you know, the Exxon Mobiles of the world. I mean, you might, maybe that's your client. Good for you. <laughs> so you, you're most likely, you don't need to necessarily care about that. It's something that, you know, if, if you are curious about it, it's a pretty easy one to answer. Um, most of the Uh, Cloud services for the legal tech ecosystem are built in Amazon Web Services, which has a worldwide data center footprint, but doesn't necessarily mean that they offer their service in uh, one or more locations. More often than not, it's probably just in the U.S. because it's not a trivial thing to spin up another instance of your software in another geography, as an example. So it depends, you know, if you're working for international customers that, you know, have very sensitive uh, data requirements, 
you know, like the EU as an example, you work with certain banks, you know, you, you might want to dig into that. In the future, a lot of these cloud services are naturally going to need to cope with this almost digital geography problem, right? By allowing their customers to store the data wherever they see fit. Because you know, if you think about the cloud as another layer of abstraction, it's almost like an operating system. And with operating systems, you should be able to move the data wherever you want. Yeah, we're seeing that a lot, that clouds are allowing you to choose. As a, For instance, for a long time now, Clio, the case management system, which is a Canadian company, has allowed you to choose whether you want your data in Canada or in the United States. And what we generally advise folks is, you know, it's the devil you know. I mean, if you don't understand cross-border data issues, why would you want your data outside the United States? Because you're going to have to pay if there's a cross-border issue. Um, so generally, they want to keep it here, I think. Do you agree with that? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I mean, like I said, m- most often it's a non-issue, but it, t- it depends. That, that great lawyer answer. They hate depends that. That d- depends. Work, it <laughs> it's a non-issue till it's an issue. That's the problem with it. <laughs> yeah, they don't like that depends. But but it's what they say all the time by rote. Um that's okay. I've got that down too. So in, in legal, what areas are seeing the most impact from the cloud? Um, well, wherever the biggest waste is, you know, that's one way to look at it. You know, what can be automated? So obviously e-discovery. I'm biased to that because I'm in that world all day. But there's other areas too, you know, contract analysis, you know, M&A deal review. That Those things used to cost a fortune. I mean, they still do. But, you know, the cloud is is eating away at that through through automation. Uh, you mentioned Clio just now, you know, practice management software, you know, that's eating away at, you know, what consultants used to charge, you know, back-end, you know, uh, IT consultants, that kind of thing. So, you know, wherever the biggest inefficiencies are, you know, the cloud and the services that are are, are built there are, are going to attack the most. E-discovery is one of the biggest ones, and that's why you're seeing a, a lot of money go into those kinds of companies. What is it doing precisely to the large e-discovery ecosystem? It's expanding it, for one. You know, uh, like as an example, our mission is to democratize discovery because we, we've always thought that it's ridiculous that this thing is so expensive and inaccessible to the vast majority of people that actually need it. So let's, let's actually make it accessible to everybody. Can't turn everything upside down. So you, act, you actually do, you see expansion um, into people that can now use it because it's affordable. Um, and then you also see contraction, right? So in the, um, in the, let's call it the e-discovery vendor space, you know, historically, the way to get e-discovery done was by picking up the phone and calling a vendor and saying, hey, I've got this data, emails, whatever, and I need to review it and produce it by, you know, two weeks from now. I don't know. Can you help me? And so you, you'd ship the data to this vendor and they would uh, put it to their process and their people and their software um, not that they built the software, but probably licensed from some other technology provider. And then they'd, uh, they do all the work for you. So very manual task and very, very expensive. Uh, that fuels a lot of the $10 billion plus e-discovery market today. Well, what happens when 80 to 90% of that work is automated? That's what's happening in the cloud. So that's where the contraction's happening, where now you don't necessarily need to call that person every time because, as it turns out, a uh, vast majority of matters that involve some kind of discovery are not huge bet to farm cases. You know, it's not the stuff you read about in the Wall Street Journal. It's a, you know, public records response or an internal investigation or an employment litigation. And you're dealing with, you know, maybe a couple of people's data 
it's not a huge set of data, but it's still cumbersome to go through. Um, and you don't want to, you know, rely on somebody else to do that if you can use a service provider or an automated service to, uh, to do it for you. So I think that's going to, that's, you're going to see expansion in the market, uh, through people being able to adopt these tools that couldn't before. And you're also going to see contraction in the market from the automation. Andy, what are your thoughts about big law and, and the impact there? I think the impact of big law uh, could be uh, substantial, you know, depending on you know, where you're getting your money from. I mean, historically, things like document review were cash cows. You, know, you put, you know, 10 associates on a, on a document review charging $300, $400 an hour, uh, and you're going to make a lot of money. So, you know, what happens when that kind of pyramid business model gets disrupted through you know, cloud and automation where now one person can do the job of 10 or 100 people? That's pretty problematic to deal with. Now, there are certain, you know, large law firms that are, are seeing this and they're addressing it head on and uh, changing their, their cost model and trying to align their prices with value, you know, delivered to their clients and, and not trying to turn over every stone uh, or, or review every single document. But... I would say that's the exception and not the norm. You know, most of the AMLAW 250, I'm, I'm guessing maybe they don't even see that this is a problem yet, uh, but it, it will be uh, before they know it. A lot of these large you know, document review type of cases um, will be automated by you know, some way, shape, or form, and that's going to eat into their uh, revenue model. I can already see the face plants taking place <laughs> because you're right. It, ha- it, ha- it has been a cash cow for forever. Let- let's go in the other direction. Uh, talk to me about the solo and small market. Um, wh- what's what's going to happen to them? Where's the, the impact for, for the sol- solo and small market? I think for the ones that see this as a huge opportunity to be bigger than they are virtually, I think they're going to do incredibly well. Uh, it's probably never been a better time to be a small law firm than it is today, um, mainly due to the innovation that's happening in the cloud. You know, you don't even need an office anymore. You can work wherever you want. If you're doing these kind of document review-like projects, you could have, you know, virtual staff all around the world uh, charging a fraction of a fraction of, you know, what uh, you would expect to pay at a, at a large law firm. And all the other tools that are being created to, you know, uh, facilitate, you know, the functions of a, of a law firm, uh, matter management tools, uh, e-billing, you know, uh, uh, note-taking, I mean, you name it. Like, there's so many tools that are that are cheap and available and fast, and they're probably, in, in many ways, much faster than what the larger competition has because they are, unfortunately, in a position where they've invested so much dollars into these legacy systems and, and people where they're kind of stuck. You know, they've got this some cost fallacy problem, and the smaller firms are a lot more nimble, and and can and probably chip away at you know some of this lucrative work that used to go to the large law firms. Yeah, I think that's really true. And even some of the folks in big law who kind of won out, we had a, a gentleman with big law who became kind of a, a big solo, if you will. And and when he came to us, he basically said, I've got this great house on a mountain. He said, you guys build me, you know, whatever I need for, for technology, and I'm just going to live on the mountain and practice law. <laughs> and that sounded Perfect. pretty good to us. Yeah. And he, he had figured out really how to do what you're saying, how to leverage the cloud uh, in many ways. So that was great. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 uh yeah. I think mo- when stories like that continue to get promoted, more people are going to take the risk because you know lawyers benefit from not having non uh, they don't have non competes. 
So, you know, if they leave this big firm and they happen to take their, their client with them, good luck. You know, the big firm can't really do much about that. And, and not in all cases, of course, but that's going to, you know, if I can get more of the profits in my pocket and not have to distribute it across all the different partners, <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Uh, and the cloud, I think, is enabling all that. And to l- live on a mountain, that sounds yeah, pretty good to me, too. <laughs> live in the clouds, if you will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so l- last one, Andy. Get your crystal ball out uh-huh. and, and tell us a little bit about what you think is coming coming next for the cloud and legal. Hmm. I think it's really early days. I think it's very early days in the cloud. But one of the interesting things that I think is going to happen as the cloud gets more adoption in all areas, not just legal, you're going to build up these big piles of data. And why is that important? Well, you know, the bigger the pile, the more insights you can glean from that pile. So we all hear about AI uh, today, which is really just machine learning. Well, if you think about data as it relates to machine learning, data is essentially oxygen to a machine learning algorithm. And so the more oxygen you feed it, the better it's going to be. So what it, where, where the logical conclusion goes is as these clouds get more and more adoption, you're going to build up these data troves that you can stick machine learning algorithms on to do a lot more predictive modeling on behalf of customers. Let's take, for example, discovery, which is what I know, but this can be applied to pretty much anything. In the future, you will have a, a model where the software will be so good that it can recommend which law firm, if you're a corporate client, as an example, or corporate customer, which law firm you should use for, a very, for this specific type of matter based on the historical data from your own use and the law, the law firm's use as well, you know, aggregated across the, uh, the board. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot more. It's kind of ironic you asked me a prediction question. I'm basically telling you that's going to be more prediction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Through the cloud. And that's going to happen everywhere. Just more suggestions, more ways to just get out of the way, you know, so that lawyers can do their work for their clients uh, better, faster, and and hopefully cheaper uh, to deliver better outcomes. Well, we sure want to thank you for being our guest today, Andy. We we happily go back a long way. Uh, and I think we've both always seen you as a kind of visionary uh, for e-discovery, a bit of a profit there. Uh, and I know your expertise is uh, sought after by many. So we certainly appreciate this look at, at particularly the, the cloud and e-discovery. Uh, that's very helpful for a lot of people who don't really understand what e-discovery and the cloud have to do or some of the opportunities of the cloud. Uh, and last but not least, I want to thank you for sponsoring our podcast. We appreciate Logical as a, a sponsor. And so we were particularly tickled that it gave us a reason to circle back and, and have a good conversation with you. So thank you very much for being with us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you could subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or an Apple podcast. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and cybersecurity services at senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on legaltalknetwork.com and in iTunes.